Welcome to the House Pop Break. Pop Break's official Game of Thrones podcast. Hot takes, spicy memes, and fan theories. Dissected by the staff of Pop Break. Hosted by Bill Botkin. He's usually drunk. He's usually drunk. This will be the most fun you have a Game of Thrones. Hello, lords and ladies. Welcome to the House Pop Break, the official Season 8 Game of Thrones review podcast for thepopbreak.com. My name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of the site, as well as the host of this series. Uh, Someone would say I am the Tyrion Lannister of this site, as I uh, have a beard. I... Pretend I know things. Um, I drink, and uh, I'm not sure how I would fare with uh, reanimated corpses coming around me. Possibly a little better than he would. Uh, this week, I am joined by two esteemed members of thepopbreak.com. Uh, returning this week, I know I was going to say every week we'd have different guests on, but uh, you know what? One of her predictions was so bold. But yet, so on the money, we had to bring her back. The Sansa Stark of the site, Jen Nani. What's up, Jen? Hello, Bill. So happy to be back. And debuting on the House Pop Break, but no stranger to the podcast. In fact, he is the architect of every podcast because he is our podcast editor. He's a senior staff writer. He has cornered the market on writing about uh, hair metal, prog metal, basically everything metal. He's a beer enthusiast. He's also a hockey commentator. And he is a Rusev stunt double if you're a big fan of WWE. <laughs> Lucas P. Jones, a.k.a. the Sir Davos of this site, since he is salty, loves a good bit of mead, and I don't know. I think he'd actually be pretty good in a fight. How you doing, Lucas? I am I'm doing great. Yeah, I think uh I think Davos has it, but I think a close second might be uh Hot pie, completely oblivious to the world around him, but trying to talk to everybody about the importance of a good gravy. Yeah, I mean, you guys both enjoy just consuming a lot of red meat in pie form. So, yeah, hot pie. We we have not seen what has ever happened to him post that one that one scene a few years ago. Yeah, uh, I hope he's doing all right. Let's pour one out for hot pie, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you on that one. So, hot pie aside, we are now going to get into what I thought was an st- episode entitled The Battle of, of Winterfell. It's not. It's called The Long Night. It's episode three, season eight, and it's the long-awaited battle between the living and the dead. Um, it was ra- It just was broken today that this is the single highest viewed episode in HBO history. Uh, with a 17.6. Uh, the premiere episode was 17.4, but that has actually racked up about 38 million views uh, to date. So this one was the big one everyone was waiting for, and uh, it came, and the reactions were mixed. Very mixed. Some people loved it, and some people were wildly disappointed by it. So before we actually break down the episode, which is something we do every week on the House Pop Break, 
uh, we're going to talk about what our thoughts on this episode uh, were in two parts. One, when we watched it for the first time in real time. And, uh, you know, after a couple days to letting it uh, marinate like a fine stew in Hot Pie's restaurant, uh, the Hot Pie joke's going to come back all episode, guys. Um <laughs> You know, we let it marinate a little bit. What do we think about it now? And as tradition dictates, Jen, ladies first. Oh gosh, what did what were the good part? What were the why was it so divisive? No, I'm saying to you is what was your reaction in real time once the episode ended? Uh, then yeah. now that you've had a, had about two days to fully let it sink in, mm-hmm. has your opinion changed on it at all? My immediate reaction at the end of the episode was just shock. I I was in silence. I had no words to speak. And immediately before that, I was jumping up and down and cheering for Arya, you know, finally taking out the Night King. So it was a total roller coaster of emotions of everything that happened. And I now two days later, I'm still, you know, really trying to grasp at how I feel. So much happened, so much changed and shifted and I'm still trying to wrap my head around what could possibly be next. Bearded wonder, Lucas P. Jones, you and your lovely mane of hair. What do you feel about? Actually, you know what? You'd really be, make a good Dothraki. I, I come to think about it as well. But uh, I'm honored by that. Thank you. Yeah, you you do get a crispy brown in the summer. Um, uh, what was your you know initial reaction and your uh, you know had a couple days to think about it reaction. Well, my initial reaction, I think, was shock. I think we all kind of felt that, you know. Um, Initially, I was, you know, kind of on cloud nine with it and, you know, really, really enjoyed it. Um, Come Monday morning, you know, kind of digesting it a little bit. It's it started to to get a little sullied. You know, you you start to pick apart the flaws in the episode a little bit. Um, But but I watched it a second time. And I think now my opinion lies somewhere in the middle where there were a lot of things that I really didn't like, but there were a lot of things that you really have to tip your cap and say, that was well done. That was cool. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think it's mixed after, after two viewings in a couple of days. For me, I wrote the review and, uh, I think what I want to say is to quote myself like a jerk, um, is that it's one of the most thrilling episodes of live TV I've ever watched. In the moment, it was like it was like watching the two towers in many ways, but shorter and just like all action, like breakneck action at all times. And I'm trying to just fill the room as I could uh, scroll to that piece that we had that I wrote. Um, because it's just, it was pure spectacle in the best way possible. But at the same time, to me, and a, and a complaint that we'll be addressing is, it was so frustrating because of the, the darkness of it. So I was very, excuse me, I was very disappointed in that. But I have, I don't think my appreciation for the episode has lessened days later. Could I see the holes in it? Yeah, I kind of saw the holes in it at the time. Um, but it's like, I don't, people will say it's the greatest episode of television ever created. People will say, I I can't, I can't give it that. I I don't Mm. even know if I could say it's the greatest episode of of Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. 
But Luca says, I think you said on, on Messenger what I was speaking to you earlier was you can't deny how much fun it was. And yeah. I think at the end of the day, a lot of people, I don't know, they just got so caught up in their own stuff that they just couldn't have fun with this episode because it's like this was the castle siege of castle sieges, you know, <laughs> and like whether you, you had to give it up for the spectacle of it. So let's jump into, um, let's put on our <laughs> pseudo intellectual uh, military strategists uh, caps, and as well as you know the usual caps we are of just being insightful fans of the show. What were our thoughts going into the episode? What were you, Jen, I'll start with you again. What did you want most from this episode? What was the one thing you said you needed this to happen? Whether it was a plot point or just something the episode needed to achieve for you, even in terms of scope and battle or or whatever. Yeah, what I wanted and was hoping we'd see was clarity on what the dynamic between Danny and John is going to be. And I think it makes sense that that didn't quite happen. They kind of just did what they needed to do to get through the battle. And that happened. But otherwise, I was basically just hunkered down, covering my eyes, trying to survive the episode. Um, And I knew that it was going to be that way for me. But um, I think that's what I was looking for. But in terms of the battle, yeah, I think I was just hoping that they were going to be smart. They were going to be prepared and, you know, knowing when you're outnumbered, you do have to have these kind of guerrilla tactics lined up. So I just really and they didn't show us too much detail of that ahead of time. And I just wanted to see some really cool surprises that would be, you know, ingenious and and fun uh, when the episode came. And did you go through your cheap bottle of Game of Thrones wine? I didn't. I, it's so funny. I, I I was in a rush getting down and I didn't get to open my bottle of wine, but yeah. I'll save I'll save it for the finale. Uh, Lucas, what about you? Um, well, I, I think it's kind of similar in, in one sense where we didn't see a lot of the details of the planning last episode. So in my mind, if we're going to see an entire episode about a battle, I wanted to see a battle. I wanted to see some some tactics. I wanted to see some details. I wanted to see every facet of what a battle in this universe is, you know, because you've got a numerically superior enemy. You've got potentially a more highly skilled ally if you want to call it in the the living um but i was really hoping to to see some really cool details inside the battle and and part of me was hoping to get maybe a little bit more detail on the night king and the white walkers um i know a lot of exposition has been done i shouldn't say a lot i should say good exposition has been done on why the night king wants to kill bran but part of me was hoping for maybe a little bit more by the end of the episode uh, for me, I was definitely like, we need, like, I agree with you, Lucas. I needed to know, I needed to know what was with the Night King and Bran. I wanted to know more. I wanted to see what was going to happen. Two, I needed to know who was chasing Arya. What, were we going to see the reanimated corpses of Starks of days past and recognizable Starks at that, at that, um, you know, I also was just hoping for, cause we, we, we ended with two, you know, we, we had two previous, setup episodes. One, the reminder of where we've come from, as well as a lot of the interpersonal relationships between these characters, how they're all woven together through death and battle and politics and relationships, as well as the episode previous that Jen was on the podcast for, where it was like, okay, 
who er, er, we're painting the picture that everyone can and will die. So to me, I'm just like, this has to be 150 miles an hour of an episode because it's the lo- it was a long episode. It's about an hour and 20 some odd minutes. This needed to be all killer, no filler, just like a Sum 41 record. It needed to be going at 100 miles and 150 miles an hour. And we need action because that is something a lot of we've been craving. We set up this dynamic of the, the, of the White Walkers. The first shot of this series is nameless members of the Night's Watch being attacked by an unseen force, which we find out is eventually find out are oh, the White Walkers. So we needed that payoff. We needed that big battle. So let's get into that big battle. One of the first big moments of the battle is a rider or a, I don't know if she was on a horse, but Melisandre comes back. Now, Jen, last week we talked about, oh, she's got to come back at some point. But how do we feel about her, this character we haven't seen in quite some time, coming back to the series? Uh, Lucas, since Jen's taking the last two, I'm going to start with you. It kind of felt weird to just to just kind of be like, oh, OK, you're you're back. Um, and it definitely took me a second to be like, oh, OK, right. There's like a bunch of Lord of Light people here, like. They really, they're really into this whole like Lord of Light brings people together for a purpose. So, uh, you know, initially there was a little bit of shock. After that, I was like, okay, she's there's a reason she's here. I guess I just kind of have to wait. Um, I was hoping that the episode wouldn't focus too much on her intrigue because I'm kind of over her intrigue. I'm really <laughs> just in it for the fire at this point. And fire you did get, my friend. <laughs> Uh, Jen, uh, we talked about that she would probably be coming back at a later episode, but when she showed up here, uh, how'd you feel? Um, I wasn't surprised. The second I saw a horse coming, you know, Red Woman, Melisandre. But it was just so odd. She came from the same direction where we know the White Walkers are sitting and waiting and the Army of the Dead. So it feels a little bit unrealistic. Arrives just in the nick of time, which... I guess that's on brand for her since she just sort of shows up where she feels she's needed. Um, And it was convenient. We did need her to not only attempt to help with the Dothraki, which clearly didn't do very much good, um, but really to pull together the story for Arya. So, uh, yes, I'm glad she was there to kind of just connect these pieces and maybe to preview that perhaps these other followers of the Lord of Light will continue to be important to this in some way. I don't know now that the mystical foe has been vanquished supposedly uh but yeah it was a little bit convenient how she showed up but she was obviously an important part of this episode so it, it was convenient and i was kind of like i th- some people point to other stuff saying she had to be there and to me what one of the things for the last season and a half season season seven and now we've seen is the redemption arc has been the arc for so many characters and that was a character in dire need of redemption um even though she did bring John back, you know, she still did, mm-hmm. you know, when you... Really terrible things. When you sacrifice a kid, um, you really need to pay a lot more than just bringing handsome kid Harrington back. I'm sorry. You got to do a lot... sacrifice the wrong kid. She didn't even sacrifice the right kid. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize it was the wrong kid, but it just, to me, no matter what, I'm just like, ah, that scene. That's probably my least favorite moment in this series altogether. But... Regardless, one thing that a lot of people, one criticism levied against this episode is, while that was convenient, 
But we've watched castle sieges before. We've seen these big battles before. To me, and maybe this is me being too forgiving, isn't the, well, that was convenient, always something that happens in big battle scenes? Isn't this like King's Landing? Like, I'm sorry, not King's Landing. Sorry, the two towers, like I mentioned before. Like, there's other castle sieges or other big epic battles, whether it's a Star Wars movie, a World War II movie, a sword and sandal movie, where we have these very convenient things that happen. Or am I just making this up? Like, do you guys feel like that criticism? It's just like we should be expecting the convenient things to happen because, hey, sometimes a show, like a film or a show, it just needs to happen to move the plot along. I feel like sometimes. I mean, you think back to the first season, and and I can tell you my introduction to Game of Thrones was watching the first season. Which I never asked you about it. Sorry. No, it's okay. I mean, it's it's the first season, and it's the last episode of the first season thinking, Oh, when are they going to show up to save Ned? And then they don't. And that was my introduction. I was like, oh, this is going to be that kind of show. Um, but I think even with that as a as a trait of the show, I think it still has to happen occasionally. I mean, if you want to talk straight up military tactics, like it's a bit of a chess match. So things that, oh, well, that's convenient. Well, no, that was probably planned. Obviously, that doesn't apply to everything. Um, but I think I fall more into your camp, maybe, Bill, on that one where... I'm willing to forgive it if it moves us to the next set piece of the battle. Um, Where I don't forgive it is with individual characters. I can forgive it with large battle scenes. Um, For example, Sansa and Littlefinger riding in to save Jon at Battle of the Bastards. Mm -hmm. Um, Where I don't forgive it is necessarily the well-timed slashes saving main characters under a pile of whites. Mm -hmm. Uh, That I don't necessarily forgive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jen, what do you think? Agreed. I think there there have to be there's there's always something convenient in any story, in any film, in any arc. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be as watchable if everything was really really so random as it is. But so this one was convenient, and and I would agree here that the, the way people were surviving was the most convenient kind of cheat that I felt happened in this episode. While I'm happy they're still here and I'm sure there's a reason for it. The, the, the seemed that they got some easy ones that got away. Excellent. So, so the Doth Rocky <laughs> charge the dead. <laughs> oh God. In the dark for some reason. So neither the three of us, uh, I don't think any of us have served in the military, correct? Uh, no. No, but we all know that's a that's a dumbass master move. of international affairs, which includes warfare. But I don't know that that qualifies me. We didn't have a class on castle sieges, unfortunately. Yeah, but that was we all know that's a dumbass move to send yeah. send, well, send a bunch of guys <laughs> on horses into the dark to go after. A uh, hundred thousand dead people. <laughs> well, I mean, I potentially may have a little bit of expertise in this. Um, I've been a real-time strategy player for about fifteen years of my life now. Okay. Uh, I was a beta tester for StarCraft Two, so you can laugh at that all you like. But oh, that's actually kind of awesome. Um, I, it was miserable. It was some of the worst strategy I've ever seen in my entire life. You put your he put his artillery in front of not only his infantry but his physical wall of defense then sent his cavalry into a death charge right up the middle and allowed his cavalry to be encircled, therefore losing them for the entire battle. And pretty much the entire war. 
Like, we can safely assume that 90, 90% of the Dothraki are dead. Uh, and the same for the Unsullied. Yeah. I, 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 mean, feel, yeah, like, they, I feel like a they, couple more Unsullied got in, but not much. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, you, you saw a little bit of it with the placement of the archers. Like, if we really want to get into the strategy, like, you saw a little bit with the placement of the archers telling them to continue to move to higher ground, which was great. But why was there no pitch on the walls that could be set on fire? Why would you send... I mean, Dothraki, the cavalry should be used for a flanking and encirclement, not a straight charge up the middle. Why is the artillery not being continuously fired? You know? Yeah, and then, like, we see, like, John, you know, he commanded the wall, and we remember the big scythe that's on the wall that knocks everyone down. Obviously, they can't build that, like, in that amount of time, but you think John was on the wall, like, where's the oil? Where's the fire? Where's rocks? Where's literally anything and there's nothing they did everything backwards every every single thing that they did in that battle was backwards and this is not the first time that Jon Snow has lost almost lost a battle purely by his own hand the battle of the bastards was another miserable tactical affair until Sansa saved the day but I mean that one's a little more logical because they killed his brother so he just was he just like lost his mind and went for it I get mm-hmm. that because Rickon doesn't understand what run serpentine means. Like, dude, come on, run <laughs> yeah. straight line. He's going to kill you. Um, <laughs> but can, like, can we? I, I don't know if we're going to get a real answer out of this, but it's fun to speculate. Uh, so, Jen, I'll start with you. Wh- why do we think that they had such terrible ideas for this battle? Like, was it arrogance? Was it being caught off guard? What do you, What do you think? Is there something we could gain from the story here, or is it just like? Eh, this is the way they wrote it. Yeah, I think it was just a storytelling ploy. The fact that the Dothraki have been built up as being so fearless and to see them running back from the dark, it really did set the scene for something very tense and possibly even more terrifying than we've imagined so far. I think it was a storytelling move. I don't think they were thinking, you know, solid fight strategy. Um, because I would have, I would have done something much different knowing that you have kind of these mindless zombies marching through. I would have set up a different perimeter, much farther away from the castle, um, guarded that differently. Just tried to like war of attrition them while they're farther away, if at all possible. And I would definitely have waited until the sun went up (laughs) when you could see. So I don't, I think they just did it for the dramatic effect. And you're right. You know, I didn't really give that much thought of just like how fearsome the Dothraki are, how feared they are, and mm-hmm. resetting the table of just how, um, um, what should I call it? How terrified they were. Yes. The fact that they, yeah, ran and ter- just turned turned heel and ran. We never could have predicted that would have happened ever in this series. Well, and also there's, I mean, if you want like an in-universe explanation, um. Robert Baratheon at one point talked about how deadly the Dothraki were in an open field. Um, Mm. But that was a while, while back. And, you know, clearly, I think we can all agree that that's not the real explanation. The real explanation is they wanted that badass shot of the flames going out. Uh, Um, And and you knew that was coming. Yeah, absolutely. And, And I don't know if anyone on the Game of Thrones writing staff has extensive starcraft and or military training so i don't know what we can expect out of them on that front yeah but i have to say uh uh 
that shot of them riding out and John and uh, Danny watching them from the mountain, which is actually the cover picture of the review because I just love that shot so much. Yeah, it was just great. A, it's just in – in a series known for great shots, that is just a beautiful shot. And, I mean, it was it – was, um, you know, it was really just one of those things where you knew those those lights were popping out and they were coming back. Or maybe they wouldn't even come, be coming back. But one of the first deaths outside the Dothraki, or possible deaths, that I, I got to ask you guys about, do we know what happened to Ghost? Because some people say he's alive. To me, I'm like, uh, I think he's dead. We didn't see him come back. So what do you guys think of, because, uh, you know, we've seen enough direwolves die is what I'm saying. Do we think Ghost is still alive? Uh, Jen, I'm going to ask you first, if you even have a theory. I'm going to say yes because I just want him to still be alive. They need such a point of showing him being part of the charge. And I think it would have, it's a missed moment of emotion to not show him dying and to have us wonder. So I feel like he has to come back. Lucas. Yeah, I think he's going to be back. Um, Some people say he's in the trailer, but I I didn't see it. I I actually don't watch the trailers at the end of the episode. Well, have you ever watched Mad Uh, Men? Uh, yes. It's the same thing. It's just like, here's shots. It means yeah, nothing. Yeah, they give you nothing. It's <laughs> okay. not exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I think he'll come back. Um, I think, like you said, Jen, it's it's just, he's been, a be- it's a beloved character. So you'd rather see a death on screen. I also, and I don't want to get too far into this now, because I'm sure, Bill, you'll get into it later. But I just don't think the writers have the, the stones to, to just kill him off like that. I think that they're too a little bit nervous of fan backlash if they were just going to kill him off screen. Yeah. That's 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 right. And very... I think that the dire I think the dire wolves are going to come back as important characters in the last half of this season. Oh, interesting. We'll be talking about that a little later if I can remember that point. Um now when we see the dead, uh, Jen you said that we're kind of seeing a new part of um the dead. Do we think how do we feel about like this kind of We've seen them as warriors. We've seen them kind of the slow plotting zombie like. We've seen them a little bit the fast zombie, but this was the first first time we saw them in full form as a horde. How do we mm-hmm. feel? About, how do we feel about how this series portrayed them? Because for me, I guess I'll start. For me, the most fearsome thing about zombies or the way zombies can be portrayed are the fast moving zombies. The ones that come at you like an like just a ravenous horde of just predators that cannot and will not stop, um, and that's especially when they were charging and then when they were trying to push through uh, the uh, lit the um, inflamed embankments that they definitely seem that way, and especially when they're hitting the unsullied too, where they were kind of swarming over top of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I thought that was they portrayed them really in a, a great way because it was more, it was the kind of that battle of the bastards claustrophobia that the director, Miguel Saponchik, uh, does a great job with. So Lucas, what do you, how do you feel like they portrayed the white walkers, um, in this episode, especially when we first see them? Well, I, I made the comment to somebody that this was the, the best episode of the walking dead ever shot. Uh, yeah, you know, because it, it took it took the the terrifying nature of the 28 days later rage zombie and mixed it with, I think, 
some of the tension of the slow walking dead zombie. And to me, I feel like they almost took like a, like a starship troopers route with the bugs where they're all centrally controlled. It's like a hive mind and they can be the terrifying, overwhelming force. And then all of a sudden, Oh my God, they've got brains. There's a strategy involved. Um, this, the scene when they throw themselves on the fire to create a bridge Uh was goosebumps. Absolutely. Absolute goosebumps. The scene with Ari in the library, goosebumps, edge of your we'll seat. To, like, we'll get to that perfect. for sure. Yeah, but to me, I, I thought also a little World World War Z. If you've ever seen that, not the best movie, but there is a scene where um, kind of very similar, where they kind of build up this wall that everyone's kind of climbing on top of each other to get over. Um, over an embankment I think they were in the Middle East somewhere in that scene and they kind of just swarm up almost like ants up a, up the side of a building and it's very similar to that of course done much better than World War Z a very underwhelming movie in my opinion uh, Jen what do you think? Uh, yeah the white it's funny because I'm because I avoid scary death oriented things like zombie movies I don't have as much reference but I thought the consistency of their movement, the way that they were commanded and the things they did, I just thought it was really well done in this episode. You, you felt like you understood how they were going to move, but also you knew that they were capable of really extreme, terrifying things that were going to surprise you at the same time. Um, the part you were talking about where they laid, they had to lay themselves down over that flaming trench. Just it's that moment where you're like, Nope, everybody's screwed. There's, you know, there's nothing that it's going to stop these guys. Um, so we talked about something very positive about the episode. Let's let's go into what was the real big negative of this episode that a lot of people across the board, and it's my review as well, uh, talked about just how dark this episode was. And we're not talking about the usual Walking Dead dark. We're talking about, like, it was kind of hard to see, uh, in my yeah. opinion. Did you guys find that it was kind of difficult to watch at points? I was watching on someone else's television and annoyed at them for not having a good television. And I came to realize that everyone had the same problem and their television was completely fine. The The most difficult scenes were the ones with the dragons, I think. Oh, absolutely. There was point. I was just pixelating and bricking out. I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Lucas, um, you're the you're the most tech savvy of us. I mean, what'd you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was too dark. Um what I will say about the darkness is I so I watched it on a TV, uh, an older TV. I watched it on a newer TV and on my laptop. Um, I put a lot of faith in the video engineers and the directors to not make a show too dark. And I suspect what happened may have been the compression um, that HBO used to deliver it to streaming services, to channels in a in a you know, bandwidth friendly way. Um, I also think that in a, in an episode as dark as that, if you were watching this show with any light on at all, that could have contributed to it. Um, but so you didn't have trouble seeing it. Well, so I did. So that, that's the thing that that's why I think it's like a compression issue because I watched it on an old TV and it was pixelated and it was miserable and I couldn't see anything. And then I watched it on a new TV. Um, and it was, it was just dark. The pixelation was gone, but like the whole thing was dark. And then even on my laptop, like I, I messed around with the display settings and, and I couldn't get it to certain parts. The dragon scenes you couldn't see. Some of the stuff in the blizzard was just gone. A lot of the battle, like the close up battle scenes were just gone. I suspect that 
the way HBO compressed the episode post edit had something to do with that. But, you know, I will agree that it was very dark in some spots, too dark to see what was going on. And like that is a bummer because you've you've spent so much money and so much time and, and we've been waiting for this episode for so long that, you know, it just you just couldn't see parts. And I didn't know who was living, who was dying or what was going on. So my my one thought of that was. Could it have been intentional, the disorientation of it, because we didn't want to know for a while who was living and who was dying? I feel like that's just um, an apologist's thought. Yeah, just because the Battle of the Bastards was disorienting and that you could see everything. And that, But like, that was also in the daytime. Well, that that's what I mean. So, like, they managed to get a disorientation feeling. I mean, that episode gave me a panic attack, and oh, I do not gosh. get panic attacks. There's no um, way they did 55 night shoots so that we couldn't see it. Yeah, no. Yeah. They, they some something something got messed up down the line because that's not a darkness that passes through multiple rounds of editing. I just I can't believe that that's intentional. And there was I saw an article today the cinematographer said I know it wasn't too dark because I shot it. <laughs> and he was very defensive that you know, I, I think what you're saying Lucas about from the original into somehow how it got delivered, something got missed or whoever was editing it. They were probably editing it on some of the best computer screens in the world and could see things just fine. And then that just does not translate to the everyday consumer. Yeah. I mean, and plus when you, when you take that file, I mean, they, they shot it on high def cameras, they edit it, you know, but in order to get that episode, especially streaming, you know, that it's gotta be compressed, you know, and you deal with the same thing when I edit the podcast, right? I have to pick a, a lossless format because if I try to compress certain artifacts pop up, which on a visual medium show up as pixelation, you lose something that looks very sharp and contrasted might now become a little bit more muddy and a little less clear. So I think they tried to go for some, some really fine details with the light and the dark. And then once it got compressed and delivered, that was lost. Cool, man. So let's let's move into one of the first, probably missing some, of course, one of the first big deaths. And the reason Jen won her way back onto this podcast, besides the fact she's great, is the first death we really see of a major character, and that is of young Liana Mormont. Uh, Lucas, uh, Jen, because you're going to be the last person to talk to this, just so you can gloat, uh, is uh, Lucas... Uh, what was your expectations for this character making it out of this episode? Because we didn't talk to you last week. And uh, your overall thoughts on that scene? Well, I thought she was going to live. Actually, I had her down as as making it through the entirety of the last season. Uh, as did uh, I. Because I had uh, Jorah dying and her surviving. Um, mostly because she was a fan favorite. Um, and I figured that she would make it through. Um, so, But it was funny because... They focused on her a lot as being in the courtyard. And as soon as that door got busted in, I was like, oh, here we go. Uh, and it was cool. You know, I, I I was kind of kind of glad they did it the way they did. Um, she's a fighter. She's not willing to to just kind of get crushed to death in peace, you know. Um, so I, I, I liked the way they did that. It was definitely a surprise to me, though. Uh, to, I, like you, man, I had her making it to the end, uh, call it, uh, just being a sucker that hoping, uh, as a father of a daughter that a, a little girl would make it out. 
But uh, dude, she's a Banff man. She's not like you said. She wanted to fight. And Jen, I think last week we talked about how I don't know if it was um, you or Josh or myself had mentioned that Jora. We, we saw. I think it was Josh saying like Jora would sacrifice himself for Liana because you know, you know, saving the house, you know, the house Mormont, which he had, you know, quote unquote, you know, he had brought disgrace upon. Uh, of course, his death made a lot more sense. Um, in this episode, but I was uh-huh. like, oh, the little girl's gonna make it. She's gonna be fine. But like, when she got picked up by that giant, stabbed him in the eye, I was like, goddamn, pal. I was just like, that is a way to go. And if there was ever a character who got a glorious death, it would be her. Um, I said to my wife after she fell, I'm like, ah, oh, do you think she's dead? And my wife's like, yes, the giant crushed her tiny <laughs> body. Of course she's dead. And then when she comes back as the White Walker, my first reaction was, God damn it, Jen and I called it. Um, uh, so, Jen, the floor is yours just to glow. Why did you make that pick, by the way? So that's the first I made question. that pick because of the sheer horror of it. I, I Looking at when we had, I had the list of who I could vote for to live, die, or become a White Walker, and I thought, you know what? If any place is going to turn a 12 year old girl into a white walker and see how terrifying that is. It's this show. And I, and so I put it in and I was right. And it was exactly who they focused on as they were showing that, they, that he was raising the people who had just been killed in the battle. So I'm sad to be right, but yes, I definitely called this one. So Lucas, you tend to, uh, you always tend to know where certain characters are from and etymology of stuff. Have you read the book by the way? I have not. I'm waiting, I think, for the show to end before I, I pick up the book. Now, or can we assume that was the giant that was on the side of the living that was killed? You know, he was in the Battle of the Bastards, or is that just a giant? I, I think everyone's assuming that it's it's 1-1. Um, oh, so that's his name. Yeah, that's right. But I don't know if that's confirmed. I, I, I'm, I would say that it's probably true. Um just because if you're going to show a giant, it might as well be that giant. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I think I think that's where we're at with that one. And I made a mistake. Liana was not the first character of note that died. It was actually Ed from the Night's Watch. He was the first yeah. one to die. I think we kind of all knew he was going to eat it. He was the last member of the Night's Watch. As fun as he was, there was no chance in hell that guy was making it out, right? No, yeah. he was an easy throwaway. Lucas. Yeah, no. Um, I I think I think he was definitely one that that was going to go just because, like you said, easy throwaway, easy guy to kind of toss out there. I had uh, one of our writers, and I'll mention her a few times, Kimberly Rossi Fox, who actually brought Game of Thrones, did the first Game of Thrones reviews to the site. Um, she said, "But man, Sam, her thought was Sam was really kind of worthless this episode." How do we feel about Sam this episode? There was a lot of crying from Sam in this episode. And you know what? I'm not going to lie. If I think I might have been in that situation, I would have cried too. Um, <laughs> it's it's goddamn frightening. Um, what was the take on Sam? Uh, Lucas, what's your thoughts? Oh, God. Miserable. I mean, he had no business being up there. And he really should have died like a bunch. Um, <laughs> like there were... He is just a miserable fighter. And people give him too much credit for being the first one to kill a White Walker. He he's a he's a historian, you know, 
I get that he wants to protect people, but you just you're just not that guy. You you got to be a different guy. Got to be who you are. And and he's just not he's not a fighter. And him staying up there, I thought for sure that meant all right. Well, he's gone then. Uh, Jeff, you know I I play a little little finger game whenever I I I think something in it you know like that about a character. I think okay, what is he doing now? What did he do before? So what is that going to mean for his future? And there are so many times this show has shown us someone really doing terrible, making a terrible decision, and it really just sets them up to have a redeeming moment in a later episode. And I think the fact that he has proven himself, the fact in some situations where he had to, I mean, he was defending Gilly when he killed the White Walker, if I'm not mistaken. Mm Mm-hmm. And then now, yeah, he he basically completely screwed up this episode multiple times, had to be saved multiple times. People died because of him. And yet I'm sure we're going to find ourselves in another battle, something else happening. They're going to have to decide, should we let Samwell, you know, do X, Y or Z? And it's going to become a plot point possibly. But yeah, he's Samwell. You know, if he had done something really well, it would have been surprising. I'm just not surprised that he just completely was a coward he literally gave his sword away before the battle so you know what does that tell us about what he was really going to be able to do uh we also um let's talk about the the big uh kind of the big scene that was with aria the the kind of almost haunted house classic zombie movie zombie television series type of scene where she's in the library and there are just dead shuffling around looking for her tight hallways darkly lit rooms and in each turn a new jump scare how did we um and i'm just describing that as a very like matter of factly what'd you guys think of the aria stuff um to me i thought it was brilliant i it, it, it was the it it had needed to take you it took you out of the the big battle and it did it in the right way because it gave you a new atmosphere and a new sense of terror instead of just this nonstop slaughter. Here's a very classically done horror movie setup. Um, Lucas, what'd you think? I thought it was great. I mean, I, I thought that that library scene was definitely top two or three in terms of shots um, in the entire episode. You know, that, like you said, it, it takes you out of the slaughter into something else. The sound design was incredible. The audio in that scene was so great. Um, it shows how far Arya's come. It shows off the kinds of things that she's capable of. And I just think that the tension right up until the very end was just absolutely incredible. I mean, like I said, it was definitely one of those pay for the whole seat, only use an edge kind of a moments. Chad? Yeah, I agree on the point of it being a good change of pace. The things I was thinking as this scene was happening was, why did they not have more prepared inside the castle? God forbid it actually falls, fall siege and and they were able to get in. Once they were in, there was nothing. You you know, there was, there were no elements of fire ready or dragon glass in, in any of the rooms so that if needed, um, a defense could be mounted for some reason. So that struck me as sort of feeling but it, you know, it gave you that helpless feeling, which was the whole point of that scene. Um, and I mean, some parts of it were a little bit unbelievable, but you know, she's Aria. She's, um, 
she, the girl is no one. So of course she'd be able to manage that room and get in and out. And it definitely brought us back into like, Oh wow, these people are so close. We can literally hear them shuffling and breathing now. Uh, and it was pretty terrifying. Which part was, uh, do you think the most unbelievable for you? I don't know. Just the fact that she was able to move without being seen, but I get it. That's part of the art of that type of scene is it's a little bit unbelievable. And, and I guess that just does show that I was scared for her. But I just the the length of time she was able to go completely undetected just strike struck me as a little bit long. And at the end of that scene, of course, we see one of our next deaths is the very Christ-like death of uh, Beric Dondarrion. Mm. Um, a little on the nose for me, but uh, man, that guy could really get stabbed a lot before he, <laughs> before he could die. Um, I thought the scene, I thought the, the moment where he threw his sword, it's just that one guy, that one walker. I was like, oh, damn pal. I was like, that is, that's a hell of a throw. Um, Barry to me has always been one of those characters. that's kind of always just been, a, I know he was in season one, but I barely remember anything about him. I just know he's the guy with the gimmick sword with the, that go, goes on fire, which is still the coolest thing ever. Um, mm-hmm. We all kind of predicted he was not gonna, another guy who was he was he was Deadsville USA, right? Right. Yeah, I don't think anyone had too high hopes for him. He definitely served a good purpose, and I think we also see a lot of fear in Arya in this stretch of of that that episode in the hallway. She was terrified, um, and that's not something we see often in her, with her. And I think it it set it made us think. Oh God, she's really losing it right now. Where's this gonna go? Uh, Lucas. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely thought the uh, the the Christ imagery was a little bit a little bit intense there, um, <laughs> but you know, not really. Um, I guess untoward. You know, I mean, it it was he was definitely a character I didn't expect to survive, and I think at one point I even told somebody that dumb sword he has is so effing cool. Like, you know, every time that sword comes up, you're like, okay, now he's ready to mess some shit up. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, I loved it. I like the dynamic between uh, him and the Hound. Um, But yeah, I think we all saw his death coming. And because the Hound finally got his ass in gear, we now have, we hope, Clegane Bowl will be on (laughs) at some point. Uh, don't, Don't say it too loudly. Yeah, because I'll be like, nope, he dies in the next episode of a cold. And uh <laughs> like, great. He dies of that. The one guy who dies of natural cold. He's like, yeah. oh, he dies of tetanus. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, right? um, I'm trying to think where we could pin, pivot to next. Let's 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 talk about that. And it'll be kind of hard to talk about it a little bit. Uh, just with the dragon scenes from what you could see, if you could see anything. I thought it was pretty cool. Especially when they got above the clouds, um, but I thought the use of dragons in this, I guess, and I guess to go for dramatic effect, like why were the dragons not first, second, and last line of defensive? The dragons can be burned; just burn all of them, you know, and uh, burn all the dead, and we'll be okay. Uh, and I liked, I, I dug some of the scenes, but I gotta say, I was a bit disoriented. I didn't realize John's dragon, I guess, died. Although I thought I saw two dragons in the next trailer. I don't know. The dragon stuff to me was a little... That was the weakest part of the episode for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Yeah. Uh, so, I think we can move on past the dragons. We love you guys, but, you know, 
Oh, so I guess that's my my one question is is John's Dragon dead or no? I saw a line in a headline that he did. He was confirmed as having survived, but I'm not quite sure. Because I could have seen. Because some people are like, well, no, that was his dragon at the end, and I'm like, well, he just did the whole arms up, everyone's back type deal. So I, I couldn't tell. Um, not sure about that, Lucas. You got any thoughts on that? Um, I fairly certain from what I saw that the, that dragon will be alive. Um, I don't think of any reason why it would be dead. I, again, I think that's that's the same thing as as uh, the direwolf, where they're going to milk that death on screen. If they if they were to kill it, they would definitely have it on camera, and it would be right out in the open. Before we get into some the kind of the main event of the episode, um, who is your favorite character that you were most fearful for during the battle scene? You're like, oh, oh my god, they're going to die, and Lucas will start with you first. Ooh, um, I'm probably going to have a tie here, I think, between um, Tormund, who I think might be everybody's most fearful. (laughs) We just want to see him succeed in all aspects of his life. I do, yes. Um, And I think uh, think Jamie. I I think I really like (laughs) Jamie's story arc. And I think his, his story arc and Theon's story arc have been two of the most interesting throughout the last two seasons. Um, and so now that obviously Theon is gone, uh, I think Jamie's story arc is very, very cool. It's very interesting and it's very well acted and it's believable. You know, Theon's story arc are super believable and he did such, the actor did such a good job. And, and I think Jamie Lannister is the same way. Yeah. Be, uh, Jen, I, th- I think you and I both said that, uh, and I think Josh agree with us that Jamie probably wasn't making it out of the episode. We all thought no. that. Mm-hmm. We all thought, like he said, I'm past my prime. We thought he would sacrifice himself probably for Brienne, and he would take the sword. He would take the bullet for her. But in, in the end, there he is, and I think we're now presented with a much richer, much more intriguing storyline of what were his loyalties going to lie. We mm-hmm. now have to worry about Braun. Because he's been dispatched to kill both uh, both the brothers, I believe. And uh, Lucas, I'm sure you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, he's gonna he's supposed to kill Jamie and Tyrion. Um, um, I think Tyrion's uh, number one, but I, I think both of them wouldn't. I don't think Cersei would hate both of them. Uh, and uh, I think they're both on the hit list, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh, okay, so uh, Jen, who are you most fearful for during this battle? Oh man, two two. I I have this love for the Hound. I love his character. I don't know what it is. He's not a lovable person at all, but he is someone who has evolved in his own weird, weird way. And because I have so much affection for Arya, and he was so critical to her storyline, I just want to see him stick around. Um, so I was obviously worried for him, especially when he had his moment where he kind of hit his battle fatigue. But the one I had a moment maybe. Once Sansa was sent down into the crypt, I literally thought to myself, oh, my God, they're going to kill one of these two sisters. One of them is going to die on this battle. And I had predicted that both of them would survive. So I was very scared for them in that moment all of a sudden and kind of preparing myself emotionally for how terrible that was going to be, which thankfully did not happen. So those would be the two that I was concerned about for this episode. 
I mean, obviously, I'm a Tormund Stan. I, you know, that that, <laughs> that dude can do no wrong, um, and I did not want him to die. And you know, his eventual wife in the Game of Thrones romantic comedy spinoff, I want. Uh, I thought there was a lot of scenes with Brienne. I thought she was not going to make it out, and I was just like, and we saw at the end of that episode where she was like, she was knighted. There was something really good that happened to her. She's like a very you know, straight, narrow, moral character. Those people don't tend to last. And I'm just like, there were some scenes where I'm like, oh, God, she's getting overrun. Like, oh, man, this is not good. And no, she she held her own and she led, she led and she was a badass and she hacked up a lot of walkers. But, man, I was a few times where I'm like, oh, man, she might she might not make it out of this. Um, so... I'm glad that all our all our our faves got saved. So let's move to the bit the we were talking about Jen. You were mentioning the um, the safety the uh, the inside of the castle being secure. There was one place that was supposedly secure, and that was uh-huh. that was the damn crypt. And as we all said, we all kind of do. We're like, wow, they're being a little too obvious about that. Uh, of the moments in the crypt, Jen, what was your favorite moment in the crypt? I had my eyes covered for a lot of that. Um, I don't blame you. My favorite moment, I mean, when Sansa and Tyrion kind of looked at each other um, and she pulled out the dragon glass knife, I thought that was good. Him kissing her hand seemed a little bit off. Um, I thought that was a little bit too much. But um, I don't know. It seems mo- like a very Tyrion thing to do, though. <laughs> yeah, he's, this woman must love me and want to sleep with me. I I can give her a kiss goodbye. And he was yeah. probably slightly drunk too. <laughs> he was a little tipsy. He was feeling emotional. So um, yes, that I think it was the moment when Sansa kind of had that look in her eyes, and I, even when she walked down. And 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 again, so much of this cast does a fantastic job of these scenes with such little dialogue and yet they're conveying these emotions and the, the the look that she gave Tyrion and the look that he had and realized and knew the only reason she was there because shit was going bad. That, that was a great moment. I'm sorry. That was from earlier, but just overall that, that was part of the crypt. And I, I liked that. Lucas. Yeah. I mean, I have to agree. I, I honestly think that's really not only an incredible scene overall, but really the only scene from the crypt that that almost mattered. Um, The look that they gave with the score, I honestly thought they Mm -hmm. were going to go all like Romeo and Juliet and like, (laughs) like kill, like kill each other and like, like basically suicide themselves. I mean, that, that was what I was going. And I was like, Oh, that's going to be dark. (laughs) Um, But I guess they charged out into the crypt. There was some like weird editing in that scene. There was where like they charged and then nothing happened almost like something got filmed and then cut right um, and that was super weird because it like it was such a phenomenally acted scene and then nothing so it was, yeah, it was like, like they charged out to stand in front of Varys and Gilly <laughs> yeah. yeah meanwhile and do, everyone and, else is getting eaten alive and that it was just like no one ever came at them yeah it was, I, I, it was, I, I didn't add up there yeah, it was a very weirdly edited scene. I mean, I have not to go too far into it yet, but I mean, I have a small issue with the fact that the skeletons were able to break through stone. Mm-hmm. Same. Because they transported uh, one of the whites all the way to King's Landing in a wooden box. 
Mm-hmm. And now apparently skeletons can break through stone. But well, aside you, from that, like I mean, you again, saw, that's you saw Army of Darkness. Come on. <laughs> but again, I guess we we chalk that up to right the cinematography, the the dramatics of it. But I I think that the Sansatirian thing is definitely the best scene down there. I, I absolutely agree. I, the one annoying scene to me was that when the uh, Sansa and Tyrion are kind of just cracking wise a little bit, then Miss Sende comes in as Captain Literal, just like, well, yeah, the Dragon Queen, you know, she's gonna like, she's the reason we're all here. And I'm like, shut up, dude. It was a great Eddie moment. <laughs> You're just like, come on, man. Like, we all know. Don't be such a party pooper. Um, but <laughs> Nothing I, goes over my head. I would catch it. I'm too fast. Yeah, just like, <laughs> thank you, Drax. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I think the one thing that was very fearful was that I, I did think, and I think, Jen, you mentioned it, or Josh, was that Gilly could easily die. And it was just like, oh, there's Gilly. She's going to protect her son, and she's going <laughs> to, she's going to die and it's going to be sad and sad. and Alicia even said it's like Sam's new arc would be as the single dad and I was like oh man I, <laughs> I, I don't think I could go through with that guys um, but let's get to let's get to the, the main event of this whole thing the one that has the most questions the one that has the most theories and the one that has the most frustration and that is uh, the most frustrating character on the show and that's Bran um, he uh, is at the tree Um he works for about the entire episode until <laughs> the Night King shows up. And then Theon and company must defend him. Um, Jen, I'm going to start with you. What did you think... Uh, you know, what's your opinion on what did, what did Bran do for that entire episode? Some people are like, he went to see Endgame. He was just watching the whole... <laughs> he was watching the entire battle as it unfolded through the Ravens. Some say uh, maybe there's something to happen with him in the Night King. Like, wh- what's your thoughts on what he possibly could be doing? I, I look forward to Lucas's take after watching it a second time when you're less on adrenaline. You can kind of pay attention to maybe some of the subtle pieces they put in there. I'm not sure. We know that Bran has affected time in the past and has changed the course of things. So it is possible that he knew that he had to go do certain specific things to get certain outcomes, kind of in that sort of like Infinity War kind of way. Um, that's a guess. It just it did seem odd that he <laughs> kind of checked out for most of it. And then they showed the Ravens briefly with the Night King, which, by the way, the Night King would see the Ravens flying like it was just it didn't quite add up for me. So I, So beyond that, I don't have much of a guess. Lucas? Yeah, I I got nothing for you either. I mean, I, I think there's just two there's two things, right? Like either what you said is correct, um, which I'm willing to believe for the sake of the story, which is he's off doing something somewhere, right? And like <laughs> Yeah. We don't know and he's he's doing something. Um the other thing is maybe it got cut again, but mm. you know, from what we see, from just what we see he doesn't do anything. He wargs out of there. He flew some sparrows to the Night King. And then we transfer to the Night King. Some people have theorized that he warged from the sparrows into the Night King. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I've heard that too. Right. What I will say is that he's either going to go down in history as one of the most underwhelmingly developed characters of all time. Or he's Kaiser Soze. <laughs> yeah. 
like you you have the ladder you have spent so long hyping him up and now you've just turned him into nothing um although i will say this in the game of thrones pool i have him on the iron throne at the end oh so i think he's up to something what is it no idea we have no idea so i'm gonna hit you with the night king theories that kimberly who like i said started the game of thrones reviews for us threw out there some people say that and i i did not get a chance to look these theories up that the night king was going to bend the knee to bran to Uh, me that seems like uh, sure but how why that's a lot of unpacking to do uh, that's a lot of storytelling you better your ass better make up in three episodes yeah um, the only thing I could think of is somehow he now controls the Night King and he is the all powerful all evil um, he's still psychically connected to the Night King some people think he the Night King projects himself into Bran before his he is mm-hmm. dead or at moment of death uh, and then uh, some people just think that uh, Bran's always been the Night King, or is somehow he's it, like that war gang. He ended up becoming the Night King somehow, and he's still the Night King, and he's still attached to him. And I don't know; it's very weird. Some people have said the Night King died way too easy, and that the what the Night King that the White Walkers, the Night King, that storyline has not fully resolved itself. So, what theory do you guys have about the Night King? Is he, uh, of all the stuff I threw at you, or just stuff you've heard that's interesting, or stuff you believe? It's a lot of questions, I know. But it's just a wild subject line. Because we've been built up the whole series to see the Night King in this whole fight, and now he's dead. Three episodes into the last season. Yeah, um... Gosh, you know, I feel like I don't want to be a cop out by saying I've got two theories. Just um, you could totally cop out with that. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think the one theory that's interesting is that he is somehow now a part of Bran, and I think this was part of what led me to think that Bran is going to be on the Iron Throne at the end, is because now death is now a part of Bran, which is life and history. So if you want to really break the wheel, so to speak, he might be the person to be on the throne. Now, that being said, part of the cynical part of me thinks that that is way too clever for these writers. Um, I on the part of me again, the cynical part of me thinks that they wrote themselves into a corner. Mm. They didn't have any out. They didn't have enough time to resolve the story. They had to shorten the story. And this was the way that they did it. I mean, there's a reason why the series is called Game of Thrones and not The Song of Ice and Fire. It's that's, because that's, that's literally been my drumbeat for a while. It's because it's you forgot the reason that you play, because it's all about the thrones, right? The Night King was always a set piece to move the Game of Thrones along. And now the Night King had sort of reached his end, because you either had the forces of light or the, the forces of life retreat to somewhere else somewhere farther south so that you know cersei turns around and says okay this death thing is real and then the forces of good work against the forces of evil 
but I think you may have needed another two seasons for that. Mm, so I, I think now, in terms of writing, you just needed to get rid of the Night King because you've got, what, three episodes left now? Yeah. And and you still have no idea about anything going on with the throne. So I, I think the writers just chose to focus more on the throne and the human aspect rather than, you know, potentially something more interesting with the Night King. Jen? Gosh, that makes me so sad, but uh, both theories make sense. They really do. I think it is very possible they've just run out of runway here and had to end this line of this this plot, um, which would be unfortunate. But I feel like there must be something else to this. It just seems too clean of an ending. Great for Arya. Still not clear what it means for Bran. Bran has a role here still to play. And um, and who knows? It's interesting because the if if your theory about the Night King being part of Bran, it kind of makes sense. I feel like they're trying to set up a Targaryen to take the throne. We've all these Targaryens coming out of the woodwork. We've got Daenerys. We've got Jon. And then theoretically, because the Night King was blasted to high hell by a dragon and literally didn't even flinch, he could be a Targaryen as well. And then, so if there's an element of that in Bran, then that brings that into play. Um, I could see that connection. So yeah, it's, it's a huge question mark for me on that one. I could almost see a scene where they're like, Bran's just staring off stoned off his ass, just like looking at everyone, just like the Night King is part of me now. And everyone's like, son of a bitch, do we got to kill Bran now? <laughs> it's just like, and it's just like, like finally we can kill Bran. <laughs> yeah. Jamie's like, let me, Please. I got this. Uh, pushed him out a damn window. I could stab him in the throat. Um, I could see Bran being a part of the Night King being with him. He's eternally corrupted. And whether it's he goes into seclusion. Like, that's why I feel like there's another wall going to be built. Like, like there's a cyclical nature of this. Like, Bran eventually will morph into the Night King. And the wall, the wall needs to be rebuilt again. There needs to be new watchers on the wall, which is why I think John will end up there at the end. And we kind of repeat ourselves again. A, a mad Targaryen or a power-crazed Targaryen is on the throne. And we kind of go back and how history repeats itself, which might really frustrate some people. But it, I don't know. I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with the fact that like we're, history is repeating itself because it often does. Like That's, mm-hmm. that's life, guys. Sorry. Yeah. Love the idea of the fairy tale story where evil is vanquished, but it never is. There's always a balance to good. There's always a balance to light and dark. And and there is uh, a way to tell a happy ending to that too. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's a thousand years. Like w- w- Lucas, you probably know because you're always good with numbers. What's the time frame? Like winter comes every X amount of thousands of years or whatever. Yeah, I I think it's something along those lines. So it's like so it's like okay, they have all this time to rebuild the wall, and you know you know Sam and Gilly could live a nice life, and Brienne and Tormund will live a nice life, and like you know we have we have life finds a way to quote Jurassic Park, I guess, but in the, <laughs> but in off in the north again, yeah, is the Night King. And Sam will write the books on how this group of men and women defeated the Night King. And that's the next that's saga the next to happen. People who have to do it can hopefully read about it and fight for themselves. 
that's that's not an interesting way. Not an interesting. It's it's interesting. I don't know if it'll happen, but so let's talk about the death itself. Let's talk about it when the Ice King gets iced. But before we do that, I guess we should talk about Theon because he is a major day one character that does uh, meet his final demise. To me, you made Theon look like a badass who redeemed himself in the end. I mean, he was he was lighting people up literally and figuratively with the with that arrow. <laughs> and with mm-hmm. and with the spear, and he went out on a shield as a warrior, as a good man, as Bran said. Um, and I liked the end, that end for Theon, a death I think we all knew that was coming. Jen, you agree? So, why don't you spout a couple words? Yeah, I knew it was coming, and I feel like a weirdo. I never Theon never warmed up. I never warmed up to him again after everything he did to Sansa. I, I don't I, think. I think it was a tough character to ever really really warm up to so i'm not i don't miss him i think he had a weird life he had a sad scary life um i I, i'm more sad for yara that her brother has died than i am for myself as someone who cares about a character so yeah but he did he but it's weird because he could Arya have showed up 20 seconds sooner and theon would still be with us that's unfortunate um he was the last one to die so it's it is sad, and it was an it was definitely an important scene for that character. Luke's, yeah, you know, I, I think that the arc was great, and I think it's in, impeccably acted. I mean, what a job, you know, mm-hmm. to to have such a development from just a nobody to just the worst to just somebody <laughs> that you that you you pity. Um, but then hate again mm. for, and then you hate him again yeah. and then you you can't not like the guy you know and and he feels so personable and he feels so human about it and you know i mean just a just a phenomenal job and in, in, in terms of the actor in terms of the character sad to see him go um but again you know as cheesy as the ending of his character is that's kind of what he needed to hear Right. That's the whole arc of his redemption. Like, am I a good person? Because he knows what he did was so terrible. Um, But what's interesting, you pointed on one thing about the Theon character, which is, I think he easily could have been a cartoon character villain, but they made all his motivations very human and very realistic. So you can kind of see why Mm -hmm. he did this. And that's why it disappoints you more. He's not this soulless uh, caricature of a bad guy. Yeah. It's just like I want the gold. Twiddle my mustache. He was reek. You felt sorry for him, but when you saw him betray Yara, you knew he was so damaged. But you were like, God damn it! You could have done this. You could have redeemed yourself, but you didn't because he was so scarred. And when he finally did, you know, when he took the beating to say, oh, I'm going to go fight for Yara after he betrayed her again. It, it's like you felt more for Theon. I think Alfie Allen had probably one of the <laughs> hardest acting roles in the series because, like Lucas, you said, he had to play so many different facets of this guy. Like a lot of these characters have evolved, but on a on a on a plane of just a, like a narrow project, like a yeah. very accurate projection, where his was like all over the place. Right. Like, Cersei's emotional range is fairly well defined. Yeah, like, Sansa evolved, but yeah. it was on, like, a very straight and narrow path. 
Yeah. Like an upward projection. Like you knew this, like her projection was here and, you know, she went through a lot of stuff, but she evolved nicely to where she needed to go. I mean, I wish bad things didn't happen to her, but, you know, she evolved to that character. Whereas, like, uh, Theon was just like every good, bad, the worst, the saddest, everything. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think just so many different things happened to him over the course, you know, and he got he got a lot of good opportunities to really redeem himself. And, uh, you know, just you wish you could take that level of writing. And I don't know if it's the writing or if it's the actor, if it's a combination of both. But you, you wish you could extrapolate that, you know, because he didn't have a ton of screen time either. You know, like that development happens as a, a mm-hmm. relatively background character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I think, the most mind-blowing aspect of it is, you know, the same thing with Tyrion and Sansa in the crypt, where, you know, you have such a powerful dialogue with no dialogue at all. You have such a great character development with a character who doesn't have a ton of screen time. That's true. So let's talk about the big moment, and that's when Arya kills the Night King. Um, I'm not going to lie, I might have jumped out of my seat and pumped my fist and said yes and my wife might have done the same thing and my daughter who was not paying attention to this whole thing thankfully because she would not go to sleep did the same thing and then said why do we do that and i was like i'm like well the girl won and she's like yay she won (laughs) um so to me an amazing like a like a wow moment for sure lucas you weren't I'm, i'm not sure if you were a big fan of that scene though well, so it was so entertaining. I want to say that first of all. Like that was so freaking cool to have her kill the Night King, to have her use the move she used on Brienne like, last season when she's training. I think everything set up Arya to be this perfect assassin. And this was like the ultimate culmination of that, right? Brienne showing her where the weaknesses in armor was. The hound all did that the, too, yeah. Already had the hound doing that too, and all the training she did with the faceless men, and it was so perfect and it was so incredible. But the cynical part of my brain doesn't go to bed, and I wish it would sometimes, um, just because I don't know exactly where the heck did she come from. Right? Um, did did you know somebody pick her up and throw her like a like a dwarf and an elf kind of a deal from lord of the rings or you know i I saw one theory of oh she you know killed a white and and wore its face and snuck into the crowd okay that would have been cool to see oh that would have been awesome you know i'm not someone that needs every bit of exposition shown on camera you know i don't need everything told to me but at the same time that looked like a pretty sizable chunk of the army completely surrounding the night king you know maybe so, she flew out of the tree yeah i, I agree with that i yeah i just I, I think it was a super cool cinematic moment i think it was incredible i mean i've seen so many reaction shots there was one shot i guess a bar was showing it and it shows the moment she drops the knife and the crowd goes oh and then she stabs <laughs> the night king and the crowd and the crowd at the bar just erupts um so it's super cool, and I'm really happy they did it like that. I just would wanted to see maybe how she managed to do that. But the th- yeah. but the problem with that is that ruins the surprise because it's like we don't see her. She's like, not today. Walk off. Mm-hmm. If you saw yeah. her anywhere, you'd be like, oh, she's gonna kill the Night King. And you like, I don't know. Maybe that just would have taken it out. Maybe that was filmed. Like I would love to know. Like 
I would actually buy the DVDs if they're like, by the way, there's a two and a half hour version of this episode. I'd be like, I'm down. I'm buying that because I want to see what happened. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Well, maybe yeah. just don't have the, the giant circle of whites then. Maybe have a much smaller circle because I didn't that, know that if it, takes I didn't, me out of it. I didn't think that it was a circle. I, I lost bearings of that. I thought they just kind of were on the one side. I didn't know they were circling them, I guess. Yeah, yeah, they had kind of circled them around. Um, and she came from the same direction as the other White Walkers, too. Because, you you know, you have the scene of the White Walker with just that little bit of wind. So the whole scene was incredible. I don't think I would change it, honestly, for anything. Except maybe getting rid of some of the, you know, the foot soldiers. Because I think that makes it a little more believable. Yeah, um, I could see that for sure. But you know what? In all honesty, I would rather have the scene as is that potentially make a change and lose it. Cause I think you made a good point, Bill. And it's gosh, that was so cool. Like that was right. so cool. The way they so did so that. Cool. Yeah. Well done. You're, you're right, Bill. I get that now. How the the element of the surprise is really what makes it. And I, my God, Maisie Williams ability, that facial expression she had when he was holding her up by her throat of sheer panic you, there's no way you could have predicted she would have had the presence of mind to make the move that she did. And I think between her and the actress of Leona Mormont making the face she did, they could launch an acting school just around how to get squeezed by someone um, <laughs> and die and, and show what face you should have. I just thought that was just one of those small things that just made that scene so, so perfect. She just did that so well. Um, I loved it. I was jumping up, down, screaming. I was so excited. I love this character um, and just a plus plus all around. But for I don't never I never once worried that she was going to die though in that scene. I felt like she was going to get tossed aside or something like that. I thought she was done. Uh uh-uh, uh no. I thought that was the end. I thought that was it. Goodbye, adios, Arya. I just he's vanquished everyone else. There's literally nothing like I know. I'm sorry. I bought it hook, line and sinker. I thought she was done for. I thought she was just going to get tossed. And he was just because his sole purpose was Bran. His sole purpose was I'm going to kill Bran no matter what. I don't Mm -hmm. care. about. like it doesn't matter who I need to kill anymore because he's the one I need to kill. Yeah. And then I'm done. And that's how I thought the episode was going to end. He was going to be done. He was going to kill him. And then it was off to off to King's Landing. That's where right. I thought the episode was going to go. I never thought she was going to die. But I thought, like, well, get night-night forever, Bran. What about you, Lucas? <laughs> well, I, I honestly thought that... I mean, it sounds it sounds a little wonky. But I part of me thought that Bran was going to warg into someone like John um, and use the Arya's death as a distraction for that to happen. Um, and I know it's a little, I know it's a little funky, but I know that the, the trees, the trees have some kind of transporting power. If mm. I remember correctly, I, I may not be remembering that correctly just because it's been, you know, eight seasons, but um Part of me thought that he was going to drag John in and we would finally get the one-on-one that we've been wanting for so long. And so when he caught Arya, I was like, okay, he's, cause he's, he was kind of a, uh, he was kind of smug when Danny tried to burn him with the fire. We saw his first facial expression. Yeah. Oh yes. That stupid smug smile he had. Um, so I really thought that was the end for Arya. And, and I thought he was, Bran was going to use the distraction to do something, but, um, 
yeah, uh, they, they had me fooled. And then let's just kind of wrap up the episode. Uh, we had some other people in there. We had John screaming at a dragon. Um, I, I never once thought he was going to get burned alive by a dragon. But what was interesting for me with John was he kind of passed all his friends. He saw Sam lying there with guys coming at him crying, and he didn't go and save Sam. He saw other people in danger, and he just kept going for Bran. I thought that was a very... I mean, I, I, it's, I guess I'm brand for John, but like John always seems to want to help everybody. Um, so mm. it was an interesting arc for John, which I wonder how that projects out into the future. I don't know if you what you guys think of John's final scenes there, uh, Lucas. Um, I I just don't I just don't think he was very useful here. Um, I think most of what he did was yell and be dumb. And I mean, that was a, on brand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of on brand. Um, yeah, I just don't think he's, he was very useful. I don't know how useful he'll be in the future, especially after this episode. I think mm. it was noble that he went for brand and he was like very like because he missed his opportunity to 1v1 the Night King. And so he's thinking, OK, well, if I get to brand, I will be able to kill the Night King and save brand that I understand. Um, screaming at a dragon. Bad idea. It tells the dragon exactly where you are. Uh, <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> you know, I don't know how necessarily uh, fire breathed from a dragon works, but I don't know if it works the way that it worked in that episode. Um, but I, I think I think John has plenty of opportunities to redeem himself. I think that these last three episodes are going to be a whirlwind for him and Daenerys. But I think in this episode, he was he was pretty neutered. For, for the type of character that he's also been built up to be. Jen? Yeah, he has been neutered a few times. The last couple episodes, really muted in his decision-making leadership. He's not the John we know from previous seasons at all, and I think that's intentional. Mm-hmm. I did think it was funny when he was yelling at the dragon, a sister saved him for the second time. Battle of the Bastards, Sansa saved his ass. This time, Arya, in the nick of time, saved him from a crappy situation he got himself into. So, and then a lady you know, saved trying- him at the end of season seven when he was uh, going to be killed by the the White Walkers, and Daenerys came and rescued his ass. Yep, exactly. So, I do love the female power that's being set up in this series, but he's. It's. I am not sure what he's going to do. I think the dynamic for him is going to. It's. He's is set up as this battle man, this this physical guy. But what it's going to come down to is him picking Danny as a Targaryen or Danny as someone he loves versus the siblings that he grew up with, Sansa and Arya. Um, and I think that's where his play is going to be. But no, he was a bit, he was totally doofy in this episode. And ah, it's just weird. I think the one cool scene for sure was when the Night King just looked at him, did the arms raise, and everyone was ri- raising from the dead and he was trying to race against time to get to the Night King and weave his way through the dead. That was just insane. I thought he was done there. He he this is a man who has dodged death more than anyone this episode, truly. Yeah, and, and luckily Daenerys saved him again. Um mm-hmm. speaking of Daenerys Guess who learned how to use a sword? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, she uh, she had finally gotten the action a little bit, uh, you know, with a little sword play in there. Um, I really love that scene with her. I loved, uh, like we talked about last week, Amelia Clark's just her facial expressions are always great. This, this sheer, utter 
panic that was on her face when she had to pick up a sword and all these walkers are just been resurrected of people, some of her own men even. And mm-hmm. she has to go, her and Jorah have to go back to back to save, to just stay alive. And uh, sadly, we lost a, another day one character in Jorah, who another guy, kind of like Theon, what a crazy run he had of going from being this guy we trusted to, uh, you know, his real intentions of what he was, being a spy, being revealed. And we, we, like Daenerys, had to gain our trust back for him. Um, always been one of my more, one more, more favorite characters in the series. How do we feel about the final moments of uh, Sir Jorah, Jen? Uh, sad. It made sense. It's been his his role, even through all of his trials, and why he came back was to protect Daenerys and to be there for her. Um, yeah, I think it was a fairly predictable but well done way um, for him to perish in this fight. Although you thought he might make it. I did. I did. I think I wanted him and Danny to ride off into the sunset since I think they have the truest love uh, between the two of them that she has with anyone. So, unfortunately, he died for it. Lucas? Yeah, I I think it was, again, I think it was a character that had run its arc um, and it it made sense with his purpose. You know, the only reason he came back, like you said, Jen, was to, you know, kind of protect Daenerys. Um, There's a lot of people saying... Well, how did he know where she was? And it was like a Deus Ex moment. Rewatching it, there's a moment where he hears the dragon's like death mm-hmm. cry, so to speak, and he runs out towards it. So, I'd like to put that to bed first of all for anyone that's, that's <laughs> listening. Uh, he knows what a dying dragon sounds like, and there's he not does. too many people flying uh, flying dragons around. Um, but I, I thought it was I thought it was great. You know, I, I think Daenerys, you know, got some sword play and got her moment to shine. Jorah got his moment where, you know, it's that cliche, but in a good way moment of as soon as the battle is done, he collapses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I didn't necessarily like was a little bit before that what caused Daenerys to fall off the dragon, which was kind of a hate to see you leave, love to watch it go moment, maybe with Jon Snow, where she's just like kind of watching him leave and and then the not forgetting that she was stranded in the middle of a battlefield surrounded by the dead. Um, I thought that kind of was a good moment, I, honestly, because it's like almost her, I guess, the continuance of we see of the arrogance of everyone, just like, oh, I've got a dragon, obviously I'm fine. You know, yeah. these, these guys can't hurt me. And then she jumped off, and that kind of, I think, uh, fueled her fear of, oh, shit, I don't have a dragon, uh, and I don't have to fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was good to see her humanized. That that is true, and I think a lot of people were. I think I think Jon Snow was humanized at the end. That was a nice thing about trying to battle that dragon. He screaming was the only thing he could do. Um, you know, Danny needed someone to come and save her because when you're on a ground and dragonless, what are you really? Um, and that goes for really anyone, right? Sure. It's not just her. It's it's when you're stuck. Even Jon Snow when he's stuck in the middle of the risen people he just sent into battle, like. You're just a guy with uh-huh. a sword. So I think there were a lot of very human moments that added to the tension. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think he went out He went out like a champ. He went out like someone that, you know, is a death that I thought was done very well. And I was not happy to see, but glad he went out like that. Absolutely. No one's going to whisper hoarsely, Khaleesi, anymore. Um, 
So let's 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 do our projection episode three. We are oh damn it, this is episode three. Let's talk about the future of the episode where I know Lucas you didn't really watch the coming attractions, but where are we headed now? So in theory, the Night King is dead. We've talked about what we think is gonna happen with Brand the Night King, but one of the key points of the trailer, sorry Lucas, is that we've we've won this war. On to the next. What, how do we think this is going to... Where, where do we see this last three episodes going? It's kind of an open-ended question. It's a lot, kind of very broad. Um, Jen, I know you have a big thing about elephants that you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, like, might have been on that one. Yeah. But... Uh, where do we think? Where do we think we're going to see these last three episodes uh, take us? Like, do we th- is I, I I can't I can't imagine that the next episode is going to be another battle already. I mean, what do you, they're what do you, making it seem that way? I guess, yeah. Or I I feel like you, you've just I, I I just don't understand how this is going to work out. Like I need a, I need a, a decent amount of exposition in this episode to be like yeah. for me of okay we lost most of our soldiers. Uh, how are we going to make this happen? Um, so I think we will see the return of Dario. So a lot of people think he's in the 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 Golden Company. Somehow he's going to pull some shenanigans to help them out, but. Yeah, I guess we may have a multi ep I guess if we are going to get some battle, we might start the episode with the battle. But I think we have at least an episode or two of of battle for the Iron mm. Throne. Uh, Lucas, what do you think? I wouldn't be surprised if we head to the Iron Islands um, for oh. a small battle. Um, I feel like that is relatively untouched and has some fully functioning armies. Um I feel like there's some unresolved stuff with Yara. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if we see Dario. You know, I think a lot of the places that um, Daenerys has been are going to come into play next week. So, because you know, okay, so that's interesting. Let me ask you about this. So, yeah. it's Marine is one of the the island, the places she's been. Someone said, wouldn't this be <laughs> funny if like the battle's about to start and the rest of the episode is watching Dario rule Marine. <laughs> <laughs> That's the entire episode. Um, so, Marine and Karth? No, that was... She didn't take that over, did she? No, she no, did not. There's a couple other kingdoms she took over, but she didn't really... Outside of the Unsullied, she didn't really take any soldiers from those lands, right? No, and and I mean, that's why I think I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Iron Islands and Marine play a little bit of a role next week, if nothing else, for reinforcements for one side or another. Um, but I think the last two episodes after that are going to be more battle centric. So I think you're going to get your exposition bell. I think you're going to get your, your, your reload, your retool, and hopefully a little more intrigue with John and Daenerys because Daenerys did not seem too thrilled about a heir that supersedes her to the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we'll, we'll see some of that, um, but I, I'm I'm ready for a little exposition. I feel like there's only three episodes and there's a lot more to be done. So, and I think the last two episodes would be well suited to to fighting and a little a little bow tie on the end of it. Uh-huh. Jen. 
Yeah, it is interesting. They show King's Landing in the trailer for the next episode. So supposedly we're there somehow. It's probably going to happen quickly, whatever it is. But I agree, all the factors that are kind of not in the rotation right now are going to come into play, whether that's the Iron Islands, whether that is the man with no name who, you know, you think is still alive and might have been Arya's sword teacher and all these sort of theories of other people that might come into play here. Um, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting. And I think as we saw in the first two episodes, things are going to happen quickly. We'll see some exposition, but we're not going to see them drag out these plot lines to make you wonder what's going to happen. They're going to start kind of tying things up bit by bit by bit. And it's funny, either Cersei's either going to make it to the very last episode or maybe like they did with the Night King, she's out very near very soon and this band of misfits that are have been kind of banded together suddenly are, are there's a lot of infighting and the final kind of fight is among them to see who really is going to get the iron throne um my one thing i definitely want to see too is where did like i mentioned earlier where does jamie lie in all this where, what's mm-hmm. where's is, where's is his side what side is he gonna take yeah and i think that'll be very interesting and i think the end answer will be no matter what happens, will be tragic because it's Game of Thrones. Um, so winning, yeah. So uh, I think my other other theories I've I've heard is that, and some people think might happen is Daenerys might end up being the ultimate villain at the end. That mm-hmm. she'll go full Targaryen, full Mad King, <laughs> and she'll be like, "Oh yeah, I suck just as much as Cersei did." And that kind of would play, I guess, into my theory a little bit of history repeats itself. And we're back to square one. Although some people, you know, I've, I've thrown that out to some people. And they've been like, that would kind of suck for Daenerys, though. It's been a character we've rooted for and been behind all this time. And just for all of a sudden now, she's demonized. She's the bad guy. Wouldn't be a, a successful ending. How do we feel mm-hmm. about possibly Daenerys maybe turning into Cersei 2.0? Uh, Jen? Very, very possible very possible she's fiery she's impulsive she has all of the other elements right now she has this kind of sense of wanting to do what's right for the people but that's never been as important to her as getting the throne so i fully think that that's very possible lucas yeah i I think it's possible i think two things make it really possible um one of the things being something i already mentioned which is she's not very happy that that john is apparently the the male targaryen heir uh-huh. the other thing is that cersei has betrayed her and cersei's betrayal has resulted in the loss of the dothraki and the unsullied uh-huh. um which are two people that she has cared about since day one in a very personal way so i think now she will be less receptive to the idea of don't use the dragons don't burn king's landing because really, the dragons are all she's got left, to a certain extent. Yeah, so and she I doesn't have Jor. Sure. She doesn't have Jorah anymore. Exactly, and she's not too fond of John. Um, so it will be interesting to see. I think she'll. I think the gloves might come off a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, I, I think it's very possible. Uh, one other big question about the episode that just passed was a lot of uh, big criticism was. There were no surprise deaths. There were no big deaths. Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about that? Jen, I'll start with you. I feel, you know, at first I felt, oh, gosh, that's easy. But I think they 
they set us up to think there were going to be a lot of deaths in this battle. People are going to die for even more painful reasons. And they're going to hurt a lot more <laughs> in the last few episodes because now it's just going to be people we know killing them. It's not going to be White Walkers. So, you know what? I can't blame them for that. Uh, Lucas? Yeah, I thought there were going to be more deaths. I mean, I think we all did. Um, I was really hoping for some reanimated characters to go up against their former friends. Um, you know, uh, Jamie and Brienne, potentially. Um Arya having to go up against Sansa, you know, not obviously go up against like 1v1, but, you know, having to confront the reanimated corpses of people they used to care about. But yeah, I, I think you're right, John. I think that sets us up for, well, if they didn't kill them there, when were they, when are they going to kill them and how are they going to kill them? So they're coming. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and like you said, like the people were left alive with, like the people who died in the episode like if we look at it, it's like the couple recognizable Dothraki and Ed, and as much as we all love Lyanna Mormont, and we just grabbed onto her at the last, you know, the last season. Season, yeah. And uh, Jorah was the big emotional one, if we could say that. And not everyone was super tied to Jorah, you know what I mean? But he was the big emotional one, and like you said, Jenna, it's like. It's good now comes the pain because now it's gonna we're now we've whittled it down to you know a lot of the fan favorites Padrick and Sir Davos and Tormund and Jamie and Brienne and the Hound the star the remaining Starks uh, Varys even who's been with us for day since day one so now we we got a lot of personal characters how are we going to survive how's all this how are we gonna how are we gonna survive their deaths and i think like you said an impersonal death at the hand of a of a zombie was not exactly going to be the way we were going to mourn the loss of Arya stark you know Mm -hmm. so yeah definitely all right guys so that brings us to conclusion of uh this podcast uh, thank you both for being on. That was, that was a lot of fun. This, this was a little bit of a longer episode because this was an epic third installment of the last season of Game of Thrones. So, uh, Jen, where can people find you on social media? I'm on Twitter at editorial page. It's like editorial page but with a V in that uh, second letter. And, um, yeah. Nice. Uh, and Lucas? Well, my, my Twitter is mostly uh, just kind of retweeting pop break stuff uh damn right and some some other things yeah so you could find that at at l jones 1138 you could find me on instagram if you're more of a beer fan my craft beer adventures and my basic cooking adventures at news over brews but if you're a junior hockey fan you can follow me at the underscore dan k show that's my uh my main job i do broadcasting for junior hockey and a little bit of video editing and a little bit of everything. I wear many hats, but those are the places you can find me. That's correct. Of course, you just want to see me talk about wrestling on Twitter. I am at Bodkin Writes. Um, but most importantly, what I would like you to do, check out thepopbreak.com. Every single day, we've got great content. Of obviously, tons of stuff on Game of Thrones. Um, we just threw up a new piece on Sunday about uh, by Matt Gilbert, who was on the first episode of the podcast, talking about uh, who should get the Iron Throne. His, his answer... Nobody. <laughs> um, and uh, it's a very interesting take on 
the finale, what should be the finale of the episode of that writer's mind. I, I highly suggest you take it out. Also uh, check it out. Also check out Josh Sarnecki's Why We Watch Game of Thrones uh, editorial, which is, just talks about uh, the experience of viewing this uh, this television series, which is another great read. Um, and of course, follow us on Twitter. We're at popbreak.com, all spelled out. We are forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled out on Facebook. And we are at the popbreak on the Instagram. Um, by the time you hear this, we will actually be at the Shaky Knees Festival in Atlanta, Georgia. That's right. We'll be heading down to our first Georgia shoot, huge festival down there. We'll also be uh, publishing our first uh, shoots from uh, Florida this week uh, and this kind of coming weeks. And our first shoots from Canadian Music Week. Yeah, so we have a, a great Canadian photographer, so all over the place. And then we got exclusive photos from the super secret Trey Anastasio band show at the Brooklyn Bowl coming up as well. So, for Lucas B. Jones, uh, for Jen Nani, this is Bill Bodkin saying thanks for joining us at the House Pop Break, and we will see you next week.